0: I am in a pillow fort right now just for soundproofing because there's lots of reverb in these rooms.
1: Describe your pillow fort.
0: If I turn the camera this way, it's stripy. Oh, it's, a real, it's an actual thing. Yeah, you'd be proud of it, Dan, like a little pillow castle.
2: Oh. <laughs> so your entire bedroom is covered in pillows and blankets. Yes. It does look a little bit like you're about to commit a murder and you've covered <laughs> anywhere there could be spray.
0: I mean, I don't implicate myself or anything, but that would be quite a good idea.
2: Yeah. Uh, it, and also, the, the soundproofing will stop the screams, so it's a, it's a two for one.
0: <laughs> I think my family might be asking for their pillows back soon.
2: Are you go around your house and sold your entire family's pillows.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just pulled the pillow from underneath my mum.
2: <laughs> yeah, she's just laid on a wooden floor crying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that just proves how good the soundproofing is because you can't hear her. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! I've I'm Batman. Do, no. or oh, do not, there is no tomorrow.
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Nerdfest podcast. Today we have with us... Dan Watkins. Carrie Gibson. Peter Johnson. And I'm John Farthing. Today we've got a of Bluff for you, and Dan has a special quiz about how much it would cost you to chat to your favourite celebrities. So let's get on with the show.
1: Oh, is that what it is? Okay. That's how I interpreted the request, certainly.
0: At first I thought you said dance quiz. On the audio-only
2: podcast, Dan's going to dance... And we're gonna guess what film he's dancing.
0: That is an amazing yes. quiz. Go for it, Dan.
1: Okay, number one. Showgirls. I thought it was the Fresh Prince. It was actually Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction. Ah, sorry, uh, an easy mistake. Number two. Uh,
3: Madonna Vogue. Popular <laughs> film.
1: <laughs> I don't know the hand jive from Grease. Yeah, it was actually the hand drive from Grease. Yeah, <laughs> that's impressive. Yeah.
0: That is amazing, and now you're going to do like Salma Hayek in From Dusk Till Dawn.
1: Oh no, no, Dad, Dad, put your I I on. I didn't even have to do the dance. <laughs> <laughs> Although, since you asked,
2: <laughs>
1: ah. John, I think
3: you owe the listeners an apology, don't you?
2: You may recall on the last episode, I made the cardinal sin of reviewing a film without actually having watched it, on the basis that it starred Nick Cage and Aliens. And therefore, I gave the film a 10 out of 10 rating. Shortly after the podcast, I sat down and watched Jiu-Jitsu. Turns out that Nicolas Cage was on set for three days and looked like he was asleep for two and a half of those days. <laughs> um, it's a film made for about two pence. Uh, all of the actors are cardboard. For some reason, they've cast two lead actors who look really, really alike, so you can't tell which one of them is which. Nicolas Cage comes on and goes like, ooh, you're crazy, just like me. It's like he's been paid just to come in and do some Nicolas Cage crazy shtick. The whole thing is like a really, really bad, cheap Predator ripoff, Right down to the invisible suit and the heat vision. But rather than like a Stan Winston animatronic, it's literally a guy in a leotard with what looks like an iPad strapped to his face. It's the director, I believe, is a stunt guy, and every five minutes it stops for like a really, really well-choreographed but terribly shot kung fu sequence where they've clearly sped up the camera to make it look more impressive, and the lighting is flat, and the actors are so bad, the whole thing makes no sense. So I feel that I have to revise my score and give jiu only a 9 out of 10. <laughs> um, so I would like to apologise for, for my overzealous rating on the, mm. on the previous episode. I also watched Willy's Wonderland this week. So, um, rather
1: than at the risk th- of this episode turning into the Cageverse part two, um, can we stop talking about Nicholas Cage? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have anywhere to go with that. I just. <laughs> I, just I just. I just had enough of Cage. Uh, anyway, Kerris is back. Hi, Kerris
0: Hi, guys. How is it going? I've been alone
2: all weekend because uh, my other half has spent Valentine's weekend away from me, locked in a room going on an online course about how to write romantic comedies. And she had to pitch a romantic comedy mm. at the start of it. And then they would talk through it. And I offered to pitch for her and she did not want my pitch. Would you? Would you? Okay. So a woman sucks off a tramp on a park bench for a bet.
1: So Peter, I followed one of your recommendations from yeah. months ago. Um,
2: the um, next day, there's a knock on the door. <laughs> it's Bill
1: Gates. He was looking for true love. I like your jumper, Karis. Where did you get it? <laughs>
0: thank you dan it's very pink isn't it it's a it's a very happy color
1: yes let's you and peter and i just talk about your jumper for a lengthy amount of time any other topic
0: but she's living her life you
2: know she did it for a laugh and bill gates thinks she's in love and she does fall in love with bill gates but at some point she'll have to admit she did it for a drunken bet rather than falling in love with bill gates when she thought he was a tramp it's like the pins and the Pauper with blowjobs.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so we're going to move on now to our Buffs or Bluffs. And first of all, we have Mr. Daniel Watkins.
1: Yes, we do. And my topic for Buffs or Bluffs this week is rejected wrestling storylines. Oh. These are the storylines that were too ridiculous, even for world wrestling entertainment. How bad do they have to be? You'll find out. Uh, (laughs) To set the scene, it's the mid-2000s, a couple of years after the company bought out their competition and monopolised the industry in America. However, despite that, their viewership was on a steady decline year after year, and they started throwing anything at the wall to see what stuck. Which of these three rejected ideas did I make up completely? Number one born-again Christian Shawn Michaels was going to win the tag team titles with his partner, God. God would then turn on him or forsake him. Michaels rejected the idea as it would offend Christian fans. Number two. John Heidenreich was set to play a 1930s Nazi who had been cryogenically frozen and who didn't understand why everyone thought he was evil. When this idea was pitched, WWE chairman Vince McMahon, got up from his chair and walked out of the writer's room. Number three. When Vince's daughter Stephanie was pregnant, Vince himself suggested a storyline where it would be revealed he was the father of her child. When the idea was rejected, Stephanie's brother Shane was offered as an alternative. This, too, was rejected. Wrestling. God. Were they going to hire a wrestler to play God, or was God
2: going to be, like, ethereal? Like, wrestlers just suddenly, like, dropped on the floor and acted like they were pinned.
1: I believe God would have been portrayed via a dramatic lighting effect. I see.
3: Did they actually ever have a thing with God, like, separate to this in in wrestling?
1: There was a long storyline with something called the Higher Power, but that turned out to be Vince McMahon himself. And another born-again wrestler... Set up a company which I think was called Ring of Glory, don't John, um, <laughs> which was centered around Christian ideas and storylines, and shows would take place in churches and it would be an entirely Christian audience, and only born again wrestlers would appear on the shows. It didn't take off.
2: The thing I've got with the second one is you said that when the cryogenically unfrozen 1930s Nazi no one thought they were bad was pitched. Vince McMahon got out of the room. You didn't say Vince McMahon stood up, walked out of the room, shouting, bloody hell, you're a genius, and immediately went to try and hire a Germanic-looking wrestler, because I don't think Vince would think that idea was anything other than amazing.
1: I believe the story is that he walked out of the room without saying a word. Such was his level of disgust. It's the silliness of the idea.
2: Wow. Um, I think I've heard the third one.
1: The incest one.
2: Because I remember people talking about that's possibly the one time that Vince went too far. I think the first
3: one got touched on in a conversation a couple of years ago. So I think that one's probably true. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm going to plump for the second one. The deep frozen Nazi popsicle. The deep frozen Nazi.
2: I'm going to go for the Nazi just because I don't think Vince would have been disgusted by the idea.
1: Karis, what's it going to be? Is it going to be God, Nazis, or incest? What did I make up? Neighbor my sex tip.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what an excellent choice. I've just I've just zoned out thinking about an improvised wrestling show. That would be cool, wouldn't it?
1: I'm surprised Dan hasn't already come up with that one. I mean, Spontaneous Rex did do improv mania. We did.
2: It was a great show. I was it was our lowest ticket sales for a long, long time because we, we really overestimated the popularity of 90s WWF wrestling amongst the Newcastle improv crowd, but it was a great show.
1: However, the people that were there were so into it and so enthusiastic. We had people chanting. It was great.
0: Would you do it again?
1: If people came to watch it, sure.
0: I'll be there. I'll get a big foam finger.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Um, so I will also go for Natty.
1: So it's unanimous.
2: you Nazis. Unanimousy? That does not work as a word, does it? Not really, no. You nazi No, that's a that's the game with the dice.
1: <laughs> I'm afraid you're all wrong. <gasps> oh <gasps> no way. John Heidenreich was pitched as a cryogenically frozen Nazi, <laughs> but it never got past Mr. McMahon. Uh Heidenreich, who I did watch wrestle at the People's Theatre in 2007, ended up being a poet. Was there a match on or did you just happen to be? Uh, there was a match on. He was very tall. The incest storyline was a real rejected storyline. It was pitched that Vince would be his granddaughter's father. God was never set to win the tag team titles with Shawn Michaels and then turn on him. Although they did appear together to face Vince and Shane McMahon in a tag team match. God was represented by a beam of light ah Mm. so you may well have heard something like it before yeah Mm. but it goes to show that there are some things that are too silly even for wrestling not many (laughs) not many no but two
0: (laughs) did you guys have any wrestling moves when you were younger I
2: lost my deposit on um, my, my first-year student flat for suplexing one of my flatmates through a glass table in the living room. <laughs> Not deliberately. I, the, the suplex was deliberate, but the, the glass table wasn't.
1: There was a party I was at in second year of uni where somebody who was there saw a bunch of cardboard boxes that had been put at the bottom of a staircase and decided this would be perfect to throw one of their friends down the stairs, uh, John Cena style. Uh, into said cardboard boxes i did stay up for several hours with that person afterwards just to make sure they weren't conquest <laughs> oh god
0: you dare
3: uh no i don't think so no i i led a sheltered life and i would run away screaming if a fight was likely i don't
2: believe it <laughs> not wrestling but i did one severely bruise my ass in a nightclub in newcastle trying to demonstrate the crane kick from the karate kid And it turns out after about seven pints of beer on a slippy night from Dad's (laughs) floor, you're not likely to do anything more impressive than just fall over on your
0: ass and cry for 10 minutes. Oh. And
1: thus the origin story of John's bad knee was revealed. Indeed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My move was to get somebody on the floor and then drop a mattress on them.
1: Okay.
3: (laughs) What if there wasn't a mattress? It Andy? was.
0: It was quite a good move, actually. And um, if I'm honest, I think it was quite a nice move. It was quite relaxing just to have a mattress dropped on you. Depends <laughs> so how heavy, yeah. Well, it's
2: better than brakes or an anvil. Mm-hmm.
0: A single, <laughs> a single mattress.
2: Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not king size. That would be monstrous. <laughs> mm. John, have you got a buff or bluff for us? I have. I have Disney dark animals. <laughs>
1: This could go stranger even than frozen Nazis and incest.
2: This possibly could, and I, I still as I speak, I'm not sure which of two facts I'm going to go for. Um, I'll give you a fourth bonus fact afterwards. Fact number one. If Finding Nemo was biologically accurate, following the birth of Nemo, his dad, Marlin, would have turned into a woman and then fucked him. Oh, God. <laughs>
3: And they say Disney don't go with the
1: original storylines. So we are sticking with an incest theme. Yes.
0: The title would still be pretty accurate Fisting (laughs) Nemo.
1: Please may I volunteer for the memory of Dory?
0: (laughs) Riding Nemo? Riding Nemo. Grinding Nemo?
1: Just keep rimming. Just keep rimming.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just keep rimming, rimming, rimming. What do we do? We rim, rim, rim.
2: Fact number two Greenpeace was sued by both Disney and 80s pop star Nina for their parody protest song about deforestation called 99 Dead Blues. <laughs> okay. Uh huh. <laughs> sure. And fact number three Over 50 children ended up in hospital with salmonella after the release of The Princess and the Frog as a result of going out and kissing real frogs. <laughs>
1: that give you
0: salmonella specifically? Uncooked? According to my fact, yes. Could you sing this song, 99...
2: 99 Dead Blues"? Ball- I Beans. could I, 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 I could actually. It's 99 Dead Blues. Uh, it goes, 99 Dead Balloons, their forest home has gone too soon. Mowgli cries a little tear as 99 Dead Blues all die. Do, 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 do.
3: Hang on, you just rhymed balloon with... Blue with blue. Instead of
1: blue,
2: it's blue. Ninety nine dead blues. What was the second line? Ninety nine dead blue. Well, it's the. This, it, 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 if you read the verse... Oh, I
1: see what you're doing. You're testing him to see whether he can remember what he just <laughs> made <laughs> up.
2: Would you like? Would you like me to say it? 99 dead blues, the forest home has gone too soon. Mowgli cries a little tears. 99. So,
3: yeah, you rhyme blue and yeah, soon. Yeah,
2: well, if you read, I mean, it's the, the Greenpeace, the protesters.
3: I'd protest at that rhyme.
2: They don't have a, a lot of time. Also, you know, it was translated from the original German. Of course. <laughs> I mean, I mean neither, is, neither is the writer of a classic pop song. The idea that Greenpeace would have time to think about rhymes, you know, they were too busy saving, saving bears. <laughs> hmm.
3: Are we all agreed? I think with- we're all agreed on that one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> the fact you smoked so much your head nearly fell off probably didn't help.
2: So you think Disney would actually release a film in which uh, an incestual fish...
1: I
3: believe if that's what really happened, Disney would change it and it wouldn't happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking biological accuracy, Dumbo wouldn't fly either. How can you say that?
2: Put him on a plane. Yeah,
1: Mowgli would have been eaten very quickly.
2: But uh, it worked. It got a lot of press at the time, back in 1986 when it happened.
1: Well,
3: How, how did the lyrics go again,
2: John? <laughs> Ninety-nine dead blues, <laughs> the forest home has gone too soon. Mowgli Kaiser, little tear as ninety-nine dead blues all die.
0: Oh, that's lovely. Peter, are you able to put the music over there? I'll try. <laughs> Sorry, just giving you an extra job. There's a second verse as well, but I didn't have time to write
2: a shit. <laughs> 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 oh, what a giveaway. <laughs> so would you all like to guess? I think it's obvious (laughs) it's the
3: second one.
1: Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes, you are all correct. That is not a truth song. (laughs) The terrible truth of Finding Nemo is correct, and 50 children did end up in hospital. Wow. With Salmonella from Kissing and Licking Frogs. Would you like your fourth bonus fact?
1: Sure. Sure.
2: Following the release of The Lion King, a hyena biologist sued Disney for portraying hyenas as baddies when in fact they were quite nice in real life.
3: Well, they do laugh a lot.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He didn't win, but he did actually uh, He attempted to sue Disney and failed miserably. OK, Peter, uh, now it's your time to see if you can catch us out with your buff or bluff.
3: I've got three facts. Um, They're kind of more about music than movies this time. So, fact number one. The man who invented the Fairlight CMI, which is the first sampling instrument really wasn't interested in music. When asked in the 80s to take it to Stevie Wonder's hotel suite for a demo, he asked, Who's Stevie Wonder? Number two. The Church of England has a stake in the sales and airplay of the Sex Pistols' God Save the Queen. And number three. Uh, Thomas Dolby broke out on MTV with the video for She Blinded Me With Science, which he directed himself, but its editor played a night in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where he got his throat ripped out by a homicidal rabbit.
2: So the editor of the video, not Thomas Dalby. Yeah. The Church of England has investments in all sorts of things. So I think the Sex Pistol's publishing rights are probably owned by EMI, who are a massive company and the Church of England will fully have shares in. And because I, I also know they keep getting in trouble because they just buy big portfolios of shares. And like, you know, before they know it, they bought 20% of Satanism or something like that. <laughs> right. So I would say that would is true.
3: Does everyone know what a light is? Not no. at all. Okay, it was like the first uh, sampler. So it's kind of like where you take a keyboard and you map little digital recordings mm. of different things. Like it might be a dog barking or more productively once the novelty worn off. Uh, I mean, most keyboards nowadays use sort of sampled instruments combined with filters to make different sounds. I bought one in 1989 for 1,300 quid, which is over 3,000 pounds today. It could only play eight notes at once, and it had a massive 750K of memory. <laughs> so it could only record about 20 seconds of samples and at a really low bit rate. And nowadays, an iPhone can do better than it can for being a sampler, which is, <laughs> it doesn't look like such a good investment now. <laughs> <laughs> do you still have it? Uh, I don't, but it, it broke my heart to throw it away, which I only did about two or three years ago.
1: And what would you have said if you were invited to show it to Stevie Wonder?
3: <laughs> I would have said, yeah, amazing. He is such an amazing musician. I just saw him in a clip an hour or two ago, actually, singing for Tom Jones' birthday, doing his version of It's Not Unusual, which was great. Ooh.
2: Yeah. When you say show it to Stevie Wonder.
1: Oh. <laughs> I hope. Oh. Well, <laughs> um, anyway. Um, Monty Python. Um, I cannot remember who first gets savaged by the killer rabbit because I'm always in tears of laughter at that point. (laughs) And I can never actually see that scene properly because I find the killer rabbit so hilarious every time I watch it. So I can't recall whether that's one of the main six Python cast members or someone else.
2: In my memory, it's a guy wearing a helmet, but I might not be remembering it correctly.
3: I think they allow extras to wear helmets.
2: Yes, but that means it's not necessarily one of the six main people.
1: Mm. But it might be somebody who went on to be an editor. Mm. There's a possibility that's true.
2: I also know that um, Peter has been reading Thomas Dolby's biography recently.
1: I have. However, Peter has also recently been watching Stevie Wonder performances. And so he could also be fresh <laughs> in the memory.
2: Mm.
3: And I have recently joined the Church of England. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Aha! Yeah, but if he was watching Stevie Wonder performances, that's more likely to make him put Stevie Wonder in a bluff. If he's been reading the Thomas Dolby autobiography, that's a fact that's more likely to be in the autobiography that he's going to remember as an interesting fact.
1: I like your logic. Mm. Stevie Wonder is the bluff.
2: I'm going to go for Stevie Wonder the bluff because I don't believe there's anybody on the planet who doesn't know who Stevie Wonder is.
3: Karis.
0: i think i'm inclined to agree with that yeah you're all wrong what Damn it!
3: <laughs> it is the church of england which doesn't have any no. um, as far as i could find from a googling does not have <laughs> any stake in god save the queen as john mentioned to look after the investments they have bought into lots of different companies which includes a company called hypnosis which buys the rights to chart hits they pay the artist an amount equivalent to an estimate of 15 to 20 years of royalties so the artist gets that all at once, and then they kind of bet on the long term. So the Church of England actually does own rights in Rihanna's Umbrella, Kaiser Chief's I Predict a Riot, Beyonce's Single Ladies, and Justin Timberlake's Sexy
1: Back. Well, Single Ladies makes sense, because the Church of England <laughs> should would be, be happy for that. people to put rings on it, <laughs> yeah. because that's going to get them venue higher fees, isn't it? Good bit of marketing. Very clever, Church of England. Well done. And can he come up with an excuse for sexy back? If you were to interpret Jesus as sexy, then he would be bringing sexy back at the resurrection because yeah. it had gone away and he brought ah. it back. And sexy has got an X in it, which is shaped like a cross. Still making sense there. I might be reaching here, but mm-hmm. there's something there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. So uh, well done, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Bring us home, Keris. What have you got?
0: I have facts about horror movies. Number one. Billy, the puppet from Saw, had its very own seat on a plane from Melbourne to LA. The filmmakers believed that it was too special to be thrown into a suitcase as one of them had made it by hand. This was when they were trying to get Saw made in Hollywood. Hmm. Number two. While filming Friday the 13th in the 70s, they had safe blood and not safe blood. One of the special effects artists had an accident with the not safe blood and ended up blinding himself. Yeah.
3: Why would you have dangerous blood?
0: The safe blood was to be used on the actors and then the not safe blood was to be used, I guess, around the, the house and... Set dressing. Yes for set dressing, mm. for scenes. Okay. Number 3. Michael Sarah auditioned for the role of the young boy in The Sixth Sense. He didn't know that it was about dead people, so he was really upbeat and optimistic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can I confess a shameful gap? Really? I've n- never seen it. Wow.
0: Have you going to The Sixth Sense? I haven't either oh
1: i know it's a great movie i'm sure it is it's just it seems like it's the only m night Shyamalan film that never gets shown on tv it's also the best Mm. by a long way i've seen the village i've seen signs i've seen lady in the water for goodness sake but i've never seen the sixth sense oh dig it out it's definitely worth watching
2: presumably you know the twist
1: yeah bruce willis is in it yeah yeah
2: bruce willis acts in it that's the twist
1: (laughs) bruce willis still cares (laughs) i see dead careers (laughs) That's Hayley Joel Osment, who is the actual actor, is that right? Mm -hmm.
0: That's right.
1: Would that have been Michael Serra? This is only three or four years before Arrested Development started. Is he the right age? A lot bigger gap. Sixth Sense was like 95, 96. I think it was 1999. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's weird because you
2: think of Arrested Development as fairly modern and the Sixth Sense is
1: old. So what was the middle one? So it was Billy the Saw Puppet. There was... Um... The fake blood, dangerous blood. Oh, with the blood, yeah. That I could see happening. On a, on a film like that, I imagine they were doing all sorts of things to make it look as gory as possible. But would a pair of filmmakers trying to get their movie made in Hollywood spend their presumably not very high budget on a planes ticket for a puppet? I don't know.
0: Imagine sitting next to that puppet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It'd be worse yeah. after the film
3: had come out. Yeah. Say so you were sat on a plane next to Chucky, John. How would you react to that?
2: I would love to sit on a plane next to Chucky. I'd stay up all night to get Chucky. <laughs> oh. oh. In the way that a tennis player will take his tennis racket into the cabin or a Stradivarius player will buy a seat for their violin. But If they're going all the way to America to pitch this idea and this is the centrepiece of their pitch, then I don't think that doll would go in luggage. I, th- I think
1: that's true. I think I'm going to have to go for fake blood, dangerous blood.
3: I'm going to, just to be different, because we've picked the same thing every time, I'm going to pick Michael Cera.
2: Well, I know Michael Cera auditioned for The Sixth Sense. <laughs> in that case, i would to change <laughs> my
3: choice. <laughs> I'm going for fake blood in that case.
2: I don't know the sore one, but I don't buy the fake blood. Why would you make dangerous blood?
3: You could pick something with a thicker consistency so it stays where you put it, but that's not good if it gets in your eye. Mm -hmm. I can think of reasons.
2: To go to all the effort to make blood that will make you blind and then put it next to the other blood seems a bit dubious even for Sean Cunningham. That I'm going to go for that being the bluff as well.
0: Okay, so the bluff was the blood. Yes. Although they did have safe blood and not safe blood in the filming of that and the not safe blood did get into one of the actor's eyes and nearly blinded him
2: so is that not, is the, that not the fact
0: no because it didn't actually blind anybody
1: ah, oh, okay a bluff hidden within a fact devious <laughs> a trick worthy of jigsaw himself you could say not having seen any of the saw films either Mm-hmm.
0: so michael cera auditioned for the role of cole in the sixth sense and it would have been a very different movie not that i know because i haven't seen it either but i just love the idea of michael cera and
2: put
3: this right all of you mm-hmm. it is a really good film it's well worth watching
2: do you think they had non-safe paint and safe paint for when aunt or deck got shot in the face with that paint gun and was like i can't see <laughs> i can't see because <laughs> that would have ruined started in that take where they'd use the wrong one. I, th- I think it added that essential element of tension to yeah. the proceedings. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: Biker Grove, officially safer than a Hollywood horror movie. Uh,
2: yes. <laughs> I mean, it was a very low-budget kind of exploitation production. It was Kevin Bacon's first or Biker role, Grove, I think. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon was in Biker Grove. Yeah, he got stabbed through the throat <laughs> whilst having sex with a topless lady. Not again. So that's the end of the Buffalo Bluffs, but it's not the end of the quizziness because, Dan, you have a second quiz for us.
1: I do indeed. By popular demand of John, I've created a quiz called Play Your Cameos Right. Okay. For those who don't know, Cameo is the website where, if you pay a certain amount of money, you can get a personalised video message from your favourite celebrity. I've taken eight nerdy celebrities. What you have to do. Is guess whether the next celebrity I name has a higher or lower price for their cameo services. Okay. Okay. If you get it correct, you go on to answer a question about that celebrity.
2: Ooh, mm. excellent.
1: First person to buzz in and get the right answer to that question gets a point. If you don't get higher or lower right, you don't get a chance at answering the question. Okay. okay. So could I please hear your buzzer noises?
0: Zip. Rim them <laughs> um. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs>
1: excellent are you ready to play your cameos right our starting celebrity is billy d williams lando calrissian i'm not going to reveal his price at this point oh. but your next celebrity is dule hill charlie from the west wing is he higher or lower than Billy D. Williams? Lower. Peter says lower. Just, I think he doesn't have the cachet of
3: Star Wars that Billy D. Williams can rely on.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that.
2: I'm going to go higher. Challenge the man.
3: I was going to say there are fewer West Wing fanatical fans,
1: but on this podcast, you might get a different idea. Well, John is correct. Ooh. For a cameo with Delay Hill, £234.75. So, John, you now get to answer a question to get your first point. Dulé's character, Charlie, appeared in every episode of The West Wing. True or false? False is not in the pilot. That is correct. John gets a point. He's
2: in every other episode, then.
1: He misses half of season seven, I think. He leaves at the end of season six, but comes back for the end. Mm. I believe.
2: I think six and seven as well. are kept intercutting, didn't they, between... The West Wing the campaign, campaign in the yeah. White
1: House. Yeah. So, Peter and Karius, you're back in the game for our next celebrity, Kristen Ritter, Jessica Jones herself. Higher or lower than Dulé Hill? Higher.
0: Higher.
1: Lower. John is correct oh, again. God. Damn it. Oh, sh- shit, this game. For Kristen Ritter to cameo you, £206.25.
3: Wow.
1: Mm. Bargain. And your Kristen Ritter question, John, what was the name of her character in Breaking Bad? Oh, jeez. I literally was talking about this to somebody a couple of hours ago. April? Alice? That is incorrect. I'm going to open it up to Peter O'Karis. Sarah? It's
0: not Sarah. Jane? I'm not sure. Sorry, I don't know.
1: It was Jane. Yes, it was. That's a point for Karis. As soon as she said Her it. Her name was Jane. Really? <laughs> it really was. Was that a total guess? That
0: was an absolute random guess. <laughs> That's
2: amazing. As soon as she said it, I was
1: like,
0: oh, damn it, yes. I can't believe I got that right.
1: Okay. So it's one for John, one for Karis. As we go on to our next celebrity, Colin Mockry. Legendary improviser, Colin Mockry. Higher or lower than a Kristen Ritter. Higher. Lower. Lower. Karis, I'm afraid you're out. Only £82.50 for a Colin Mockery cameo. Oh. <laughs> so, Peter and John, get your buzzers ready for your question. What is Colin Mockery's nationality? Buzz. That's Peter in first. Canadian? He is Canadian, though he was born in Scotland, apparently. So Scottish, then? Uh, he is a Canadian citizen. <laughs> Place of birth and citizenship are different, I believe. According to Wikipedia, anyway. <laughs> So it's all equal as we go on to the next question. And our next celebrity, Miriam Margulies, Harry Potter's Professor Sprout. Higher or lower than a Colin Mockery for Miriam?
2: Lower. She'll pay you for that. She's mad
3: as a fruitcake
2: now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So John's saying she'll pay you. (laughs) Karis is saying...
0: Lower.
1: I'll go higher. And Peter gets it right. £127.50 for Miriam Margulies. Harry Potter fans. Yep. Your question, Peter. What was the name of Miriam's puritanical character in Blackadder 2? Uh,
3: Lady Whiteadder.
1: That is correct. Yes. <laughs> you knew that, didn't you, John?
2: No. Can I put a record? I love movie Margold, so I think she's been everything.
3: I did make a T-shirt with her on it in that
1: character, so that's how I know. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So Peter has... Pulled ahead with two points. But he's also pulled behind go.
2: you that me and my girl's lawyer will now be onto Peter's <laughs> t-shirt business.
1: I hope she buys one and wears it in a cameo to him. <laughs> so our next celebrity, Winston Zedemore himself, Ernie Hudson, higher or lower than the Margulies? Lower. Lower. Higher. Karis and John, correct. <laughs> it is lower. £101.25 will get you an Ernie Hudson cameo. Buzz is ready. For your Ernie Hudson question. Ernie played warden Leo Glynn in which groundbreaking HBO series? Oh, ooh. That's John. Was it Oz? It was Oz. And very good, in it? He? he was as well. So it's two all as we go to our penultimate celebrity, Sean Astin, Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings. Higher or lower than an Ernie Hudson?
0: Higher. Higher. Higher.
1: You are all correct. Two hundred and twenty-one pounds wow. twenty-five Ooh. for Sean Aston, about three pounds seventy-five below Elijah Wood. <laughs> Buzzers at the ready. True or false? Sean Aston guest starred in an episode of Parks and Recreation.
0: Rim Ooh. zip. That's Karis. False.
1: It is false. He was in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but never in Parks and Rec. I was going to say true, and I
2: was thinking of Brooklyn Nine-Nine.
1: Ah, here we go. Our final celebrity before we return to Billy D. A Battlestar Galactica star, Trisha Helfer. Higher or lower than Sean Aston? Lower. You are all correct. A mere £93.75 will get you Trisha Helfer on Cameo. But my question buzzes at the ready. In Battlestar Galactica, did Trisha play a human or a Cylon? Ooh. Brim. That's John. Cylon. She was a Cylon. That's not a spoiler because she's a Cylon from the start. Yeah. As we go into our final question, Keris has got two points. Peter has got two points. John has got three points. Billy D. Williams, higher or lower than Trisha Helfer? Higher. 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 You are all correct. £225 wow. for a cameo from Lando. Mm. And the final question, in how many Star Wars films did Billy D. appear as Lando Calrissian? Ooh, rim. John just in there ahead of Karis. Three? It is three. John wins the cameo quiz. Um, So Karis and Peter, as the non-winners, you now have to spend your own money on buying John a cameo of his choice.
0: (laughs) I wonder who we could possibly get mm-hmm. as a cameo for John. I wonder who
3: the cheapest person on cameo is. There's,
2: there's some vessels that are like 20 quid, <laughs> isn't there?
3: You can get a Chuckle Brother for about 34 mm-hmm. quid. You can probably get Nick Cage to be in a movie for about
1: 40.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I nearly bought you a cameo for your birthday, Dan.
1: Did you? Who did you get me? Nearly.
2: I had to look for the cheapest one, but unfortunately they couldn't do it. But £26.25 would get you a cameo from one of the Redneck Twin Wrestlers. You nearly got a cameo from one of the Bushwhackers.
1: Oh, <laughs> that would have been great. I love the Bushwhackers. <laughs> but
2: suddenly they were not available.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you anyway. So any of those cameo prices seem reasonable to you? Are you going to be splashing out after the podcast's finished?
0: Uh no.
3: <laughs> i can think of better things to spend the money on to be honest
0: yeah, yeah me too
1: john will you be spending a couple of hundred quid on on a cameo anytime soon
2: i don't think so i might put myself up there i think you should yeah that's like the Fest podcast will do you a cameo for 12 quid a packet of crisps <laughs> bed for the night <laughs> Just...
0: sounds good
1: yeah, it's a, it's an odd phenomenon. I don't know how many of the celebrities really take the time and the energy, especially if they're really popular, they must just have to kind of rattle through them mm. for everyone. But I guess if you're a really big fan of someone, any kind of interaction like that, it's like getting a photo at a comic con, I suppose, isn't yeah. it? And that's really good fun.
2: They tend to be like a minute long, I think, don't they, generally? And they will say whatever you want them to within reason.
0: Ooh. Wow.
2: Because I, di- I did have a plan that we could make a film and we could, like, get some celebrities into it if I get them to cameos. So, like, we could get Steve Guttenberg to just read something that sounded like it, it might be a message to us, but could it also be some lines for the film that I've written.
3: <laughs> do you think having Steve Guttenberg on the cast list would add to the viewing figures?
2: Police Academy fans, don't forget, Peter. We're strong. We support our, our mostly dead cast.
1: I suppose with conventions and things not really being possible in person, Mm. it's a really good way for the likes of Sylvester McCoy and James Cosmo and all the people that you'd normally get at those conventions signing autographs and doing photos to actually make the money that they're otherwise missing out on by not being able to do these events in person anymore. So that must be why it's taken off so much in the past year.
3: Who among us has actually been to a convention?
1: I have. I have what did you go to? I went to the first couple of Newcastle comic cons and met Carl Weathers and had my photo with Spike from Buffy. And that was really cool. But in 2016, we also went to Star Wars celebration in London and went to panels with Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher's last celebration where Gary Fisher, the dog terrorized Warwick Davis for an hour. And it was hilarious. (laughs) Um, and that was amazing. That was on a much, much bigger level than the Newcastle ones. And we were going to go to the one in California last year, but then the world happened. Karis, what did you go see?
0: You know America's Next Top Model? Yeah. Yeah. It was a convention in London that I went to. So Britain's Next Top Model, it was for a journalist assignment in uni and it was huge. It was in that, what's that um, conference centre called again? The Excel. Yes, it was in the XL. Lots of screaming. I didn't really want to be there, if I'm honest. <laughs> it wasn't my choice of um, conventions to go to.
2: You didn't get your picture taken with any of Britain's next top
0: models? I did. I did get a picture with one of them. They were lovely. They were very gracious. It just wasn't really my scene.
3: <laughs> I went to a Doctor Who one. And my wife was taking some of her kids to it, and so I tagged along. Um, we met John Pertwee and watched him speak for an hour, and it was really great. He hadn't even reached Doctor Who in terms of his storytelling by the time he got dragged off with a big hook because <laughs> it was the end of his wow. bit. John, have you been to one? I've
2: never been to a convention in my life. No, you're
3: unconventional.
2: I am unconventional.
1: Yes. Hey,
2: <laughs> I did queue up for several hours to get a wrestler's autograph for Louise's godson.
1: Who was that? I can't remember. I also have queued up for a wrestler's autograph, but it was Dave Batista. Oh, that's quite cool. At HMV in Newcastle, Mm -hmm. of all places. And did you get him? I did. Yeah, he was very nice.
0: I was just talking today about how I queued up to get Alan Carr's autograph because um, my friend and I are watching Interior Design Masters with Alan Carr. I once queued up to get his autograph when he was in Piccadilly and I was living in London. And he was so lovely. And there was a group of girls who were there also to get his autograph who had dressed up like him. <laughs> and they thought it was really funny. And they had like fake teeth in and fake glasses on. It was so horrible. Why would you do that? Why would you? Mm-hmm.
1: He... I think it's so they remember you.
0: He wasn't, you know, an arsehole about it or anything, but you could tell he wasn't impressed.
1: I mean, if they they
3: hated him, they wouldn't have bothered turning up for him. So, you Mm, know, it's probably misguided rather than krill. Uh, I signed up for an autograph signing from Kate Bush once uh, in a record store. Uh, And I'd done like a drawing of her and got her to sign that. And I had that on the wall here for about 15 years. That's very cool.
2: I've never seen that. Where's that?
3: in your house it's not currently up but i'll i'll send you the i'll send you the drawing
2: (laughs) yes i'd I'd like to see that excellent was it a drawing of a babushka (sighs) (laughs)
3: yeah
1: i think one of the longest waits i had for an autograph signing was when edgar wright simon Pegg, and nick frost were all at hmv again in newcastle when hot fuzz came out No. And they were signing DVDs of Shaun of the Dead and soundtracks of Hot Fuzz. And then I think there must have been a preview screening of some kind in Newcastle that night. And that was very cool to see mm. all three of them in the same place.
0: Did they sign things with Cornettos?
1: Uh, sadly not, just marker pens. Oh, okay. I know. Um, they would have. It would have melted, to be fair, and it wouldn't have lasted as long.
3: Do you think they have a dangerous Cornetto and a safe
2: Cornetto?
1: <laughs> yeah, the one in the world's end was definitely dangerous as it floated past in the apocalypse.
2: I randomly saw Edgar Wright when I was waiting to see somebody else. There was a play of Betrayal On in London a couple of years ago and it starred um Tom Hiddleston, Charlie Cox, and we went out and there was loads and loads of people queuing because they heard that Tom Hiddleston and Charlie Cox come out afterwards and signed stuff. So we were just stood on the other side of the road, deciding what pub to go to. And then out of the back entrance, as everyone else was waiting at the front, Edgar Wright and his much, much taller girlfriend popped out of the side door and scurried off through the streets of Soho. But then um, the pub we did go into, we went and had a pint in the pub, and Charlie Cox came and sat with his mates on the table next to us. And I kind of briefly said hello to him, and I think I got a photo taken with him. And he was a really, really nice guy. Then we just kind of left him to... I would with his mates and then um, our friend Kevin joined us who lives in London but hadn't been to the play and just bounced along and wouldn't know who Charlie Cox was because he's not into that kind of thing stuck three pints on the table like how was the play? I heard it's fucking terrible <laughs> oh my god um, we were like no it was really good <laughs>
3: it's a shame he's not deaf as well as blind yes
2: that would have been helpful
3: <laughs> daredevil joke <I> on <laughs>
2: So that was another excellent episode of Nervous Podcast. We've had a lot of fun. We've had a- thats not what you said last week. <laughs> We've had a lot of laughs, mostly edited <laughs> in, in by Peter after the fact. <laughs> 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 Have you ever noticed how every time Peter says something on the podcast, there's Here the exact go. same laugh, almost like it's been stitched or edited in, in afterwards.
3: Well, I did tell you I built this sampling instrument mm. when I had to kind of replace all the audio for one podcast and I took all my laughs and had a keyboard instrument where I could play different volumes of laugh.
2: And are you still a bit that Stevie Woodner didn't give a shit about it. <laughs> <laughs> Take us home, John. Uh, so that was another episode of Nervous Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to us, then give us a like on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. And what
3: will you do for anyone who does that for us, John?
2: I will record a cameo for you, whether you want it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so, you've been listening to.
1: A man who hopes finding Nemo hasn't been ruined for him.
3: A man who wished he hadn't spent quite so much on a sampler.
0: A woman who is trapped
2: in a pillow fort. And a man whose father's a clownfish and now needs years of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Dad.
3: <laughs> oh, thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. Just keep rimming, rimming, rimming. What do we do? We rim. Rim, rim, just keep rimming, 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 what do we do, we rim, rim.
2: Dead blues, the forest home has gone too soon Though he a later tear As 99 dead blues all die 99 dead blues all die